Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. I'd like for you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, the verses that we've been focusing on for these days. Second Timothy chapter 2, we begin reading in verse 1. Alright, chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, this is part of Paul's last message to Timothy personally. And uh, he wanted, of course, Timothy to share these things with the saints in Ephesus where Timothy was. But in fact, what we have right here is the uh, passing of the torch from Paul and his apostolic ministry to Timothy to carry on. Now... The Lord wants the testimony of Jesus to be held by the church, not just individuals. But, you know, there's those angels in the Lord's hands, and it's very important that there be in our groups those who can preach the prophetic word of testimony in order to keep the light lit and the focus properly, not on outward things, but on inward things, as our brother Stephen shared this morning. I just want you to look at, the, at these verses here. And at the four different uh, examples that Paul uses of what it means to strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We looked at them the other day, but I have them up here in song, which we're going to sing. And I just want you to see uh, these uh, four analogies. So the first one is, like a runner in a relay race, pass along the things you've learned by grace. So you've learned a lot of things. Some of you have kept notebooks for several years. But, you know, uh, having a notebook on your shelf somewhere is not really what it's about. Have you passed along the things that you've received? Some of you have Christian friends who do not assemble with you, and, well, that's no problem there. But have you ever passed along some of the riches of Christ that you have heard about to some of your friends who maybe are just receiving uh, uh, milk for babes? So pass along the things you've learned by grace. You're a link between the saints behind you. And in front of you. So don't give up until you've run your course. See, Paul says here in Second Timothy, I have run my course. That is to say, my race is over. Timothy, be faithful. And the second verse we have is, as you can see there in verse uh, 3 and 4, he's talking about what it means to be a soldier. And you know, to be a soldier, you have to strengthen yourself in obedience and in self-sacrifice. And so... We sing, like a soldier fighting for his king, your allegiance comes before all things. Before anything else, your allegiance to Jesus, the king, is number one. Will you suffer for him now, remembering his cross? Pleasing him is worthy of the cost. Back in those days, it wasn't that you were drafted into the army. You signed up for the army and you wanted to please your commander because it meant success and promotion for you and all that. But you've got to be willing to endure hardship as a soldier. Then the third verse will sing, like a wrestler training for the prize. Now that word here that says um, in verse 5, that also if anyone competes as an athlete, uh, most people believe in the Greek it's actually the word wrestler. Because, you know, in Greek, Greek wrestling is actually in the Olympics today. It's a very popular uh, sport. Like a wrestler training for the prize, discipline and holy rules apply. Character exemplifies the Spirit's life within. Fight the fight to keep your heart for Him. Our real warfare as a, as a Christian is to keep our heart pure. 
And that takes a self-discipline in your own life. It takes prayer, devotion, fellowshipping with saints. It, there's a self-discipline there. And actually, an athlete is not going to make it in the end unless he has that kind of self-discipline where you study the Word, not because somebody tells you you have to, but because you see the value of it, you see. Those marathon guys, they don't just wake up on the Thursday before the Olympics and say, hmm, I think I better go for a run. This is not going to work. A life of discipline is what's necessary. And then the last example that Paul uses there in verse uh, 6 is the hard-working farmer. And so I, I just wrote this little chorus here. Like a farmer tending to his field, diligence and perseverance yields fruit that honors Jesus Christ and also blesses you. Trust the Lord to increase what you do. The farmer's in a tough position. Because basically he takes all the money that he got from last year and he buys seed and he plants it in the ground and he buys fertilizer and then he buys machines to cultivate. And, and the whole thing is a gamble that he's going to have a harvest at the end. And you've got to have a, a, a real sense of uh, stubborn faithfulness that the Lord is going to bless what I do. Because sometimes when you're working... It doesn't seem like a lot of blessings. Sometimes when you witness to your friends, it doesn't seem like it's really doing much good. If you persevere like the farmer, like a stubborn farmer, in the end you'll reap, reap a harvest. So this is a song we're going to sing. Uh, Philip, I need your help up here again so we can flick this thing. And uh, I, I have changed it so uh, we can sing the middle part without getting a nosebleed. Uh, your choice. You want to do that or you want to play guitar? <laughs> All right. So, for those of you who were here yesterday, you know the song. Some of you who weren't here yesterday, you still know the song. And then there's the rest of you who will never learn the song. Right, here we go. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith, like a runner in a relay race. Pass along the things you've learned by grace. You're a link between the saints. Behind you and before, don't give up until you've run your course. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like a soldier fighting for his king, your allegiance comes before all things. Will you suffer for him now, remembering his cross, praising him is worthy of the cause? I could faith. Ah, hold it. Now you see, you don't have to. Now, what I need is some sisters who are especially good singers. Because there's another little part that goes along with it. Now, I think like the sisters, let's see, one, two, three, four. On the fifth row back there, there's a wonderful row of beautiful sisters and then a couple of ugly guys. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. And so the sisters with the golden thing and the blue thing on. You know who you are right there, row six, and then the ugly guys on the wings, okay? Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> We'll pray for you. Yeah, okay. So, while everybody is going like this, see, fight the good fight of faith. That's the simple part. But the girls are going, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Okay? I mean, okay? <laughs> All right, can you do it? Alright, here we go, sisters, uh, in that sixth row back there between the ugly guys. Here we go. Somehow I hear myself, nobody else. Fight. 
Now, this is sounding angelic now. Do you hear it? <laughs> Even the ugly guys look handsome now. <laughs> the effect you've had on the whole audience is immeasurable. It's unbelievable. Okay, sisters, uh, let's, do a, let's do your thing twice, and then everybody will come in. Okay? The beautiful sister, angels, and then the rest of us uh, sinners. All right, here we go. <laughs> sisters. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight. And I hollered at a certain point, you have to stop. <laughs> Strengthened by His grace within you. And then you guys come right down to fight the good fight of faith. Alright, one more time, sisters. Everybody else. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by his grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith, like a wrestler training for the prize. Discipline and holy rules apply. Character exemplifies the spirit's life within. Fight the fight to keep your heart for him. That's right. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like a farmer tending to his field. Diligence and perseverance yield. Fruit that honors Jesus Christ and also blesses you. Trust the Lord to increase what you do. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Strengthened by His grace within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Angels, angels, that was really good. I'll tell you. Everybody needs to hug them when the meeting's over. When it's over. Except the guys on the end. Now, you just stay with them. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's uh, do... Uh, this is another song that I wrote because, uh, you know, there's a correlation between what happened on Sinai when Moses received the law and what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. And this is a song about that. Because in order to be strengthened by His grace, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Really need to know the Holy Spirit in your life. As we'll see even today in the receiving of the torch. This is so necessary. Okay, anyway, this is... Let the fire fall from heaven let the fire fall on me like it was on the holy mountain. Let the fire fall on me. Cleanse me from my sin and wandering. Free me by thy Spirit's power like it was on the holy mountain. Let the fire a prayer. Let's start from the top. Let the fire fall from heaven. Let the fire fall on me. Like it was on the holy mountain. Let the fire fall on me. Cleanse me 
that plywood bed and you're laying there sleepless and aching that a tune will haunt you let the spirit fall from heaven and you'll turn it into a prayer that's the reason we're doing these crazy songs so let's try it one more time so it can be ingrained and then in your body in the midst of misery at 3 o'clock in the morning you can sing the song ready Let the fire fall from heaven, let the fire fall on me, like it was on the holy mountain, let the fire fall on me, cleanse me from my sin and wandering, free me by thy spirit's power, like it was on the holy mountain, let the Fall from heaven, let the Spirit fall on me. Like the day of Pentecost was, let the Spirit fall on me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, make a witness out of me. Let the Spirit fall from heaven, let the Spirit fall on me. Lord, we pray that your Spirit indeed would fall upon us because you even promised that when your Spirit comes, it quickens us. And Lord, we know we've got tired bodies here and people ready to go to sleep. And we want your help. That we might hear your heart and receive the torch and go forward faithfully. It's all by your doing. It's all by your strength. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit, our best friend. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, without his background, the psalm, and with the recognition that Timothy indeed uh, was faithful and carried the torch of the testimony, we know it's an awesome responsibility. Uh, nobody feels capable or worthy of such a thing. But the times, God's sovereign times, makes it essential that we be ready and willing. And all we can ask of you dear saints here today is that you prepare your life to be ready to take that torch of the testimony uh, uh, while you're at school and uh, when you meet together in the church and to carry that testimony of all that Jesus is in your life, in reality Jesus among us when we gather all those things we talked about yesterday Yesterday we spoke about John and saw him as that old man passing the torch on to the next generation. And indeed, God gave him a way of doing it that was unique. Only John could do such a thing. That is, the torch he passed 
has remained through the generations because he actually passed on the book of Revelation to you and I. And the book of Revelation is such a book that if you read under the uh, uh, leading of the Holy Spirit, you may see indeed a revelation of Jesus like John saw. And when that happens, you see the testimony of Jesus. You see who he really is. I know that most of us know Jesus as Savior, maybe Jesus as friend. Uh, but you know something? It's a wonderful day when one day you see Jesus of glory. That's why John fell down like a dead man. Because when you see Jesus of glory, he's very bright. He's very holy. He's filled with great power. It's overwhelming. But when you see the Jesus of glory, then you realize who Jesus is. I mean, I know we love Jesus now. You know what I mean? We love Jesus because he saved us and he cares for us. Wait till you see Jesus the way he is now. Wow. It, it, it's like a magnet gets turned on in your life and you want to follow him, learn more about him. You just see a little nanosecond, maybe a flash of a vision, but it's enough to get you going. Because, listen, you've got a friend, maybe you've got a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, 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 or somebody else, and you think they're just really great. Wait till you see Jesus as he really is. There's no comparison. Really not. He is the greatest person. Ever walked the earth. Wait till you see his love. Our brother Stephen talked this morning. He has penetrating eyes. And one of the things about penetrating eyes is they look right into your heart. Right past all the outside stuff. He looks right into your heart. You know what? When I was a Christian, one year. Just one year Christian. I just saved. I was 21 years old. And I went to a conference. And uh, uh, there was a speaker there that I went to hear. And uh, Billy Graham came to hear this speaker. He's a well-known guy. And afterwards, the speaker came over and said, Daniel, come on over here. Uh, it's a long story how he knew me. And he took me over to meet Billy Graham. That's really something. Now, so anyway, here I am, you know, 21 years old. And, uh, <laughs> hi, uh, hi, uh, hi, uh, hi there, Billy. I shook his hand. And that guy looked with his eyes. He's got beautiful eyes and they're straight and clear and powerful. And he looked right into my heart. He said, hello, Brother Dane. I hear that you've been saved recently. And he encouraged me. I tell you, I'll never forget that. Just a moment. But he had eyes of love. Real eyes of love. Well, the more you see Jesus, the more you're going to see all these kind of things. So be in preparation. Ask the Lord to show Himself to you. That way you'll understand what this testimony is about. We are bearing as Christians the most wonderful, beautiful thing in this earth. There's nothing that compares with holding the torch and telling everybody, let me tell you about this most beautiful Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to do for your life. Now I wanted to look just by way of illustration at somebody else who received the torch. But now this particular torch is back in the Old Testament and the, the guy is Joshua. Any guy in here named Joshua? We got a Joshua here? Hey, there's a Joshua back there. Hey, Josh. Well, you know all about this story, don't you? And you're prepared just like Josh, right? There we go. Okay. Anyway, let's turn to Joshua in chapter 1. You all know this story. I just want to sort of point out some things about Joshua. He was ready to receive the torch from Moses, you see. And that's why it makes it an uh, interesting uh, little examination for us today, okay? Now it came about after the death of Moses. I'm right at the beginning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> now that's why you all need to get iPhones, because you can just go like this. There it is. Don't need, need to carry around your Bible anymore. You got it right there, you know. Here we go. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am going to give them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
All the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do it according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers and the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself. For within three days you are to cross this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess it. Now two things brought Joshua to this very, uh, to the, the Jordan River. He stood right there by the Jordan River and he was about to cross into his destiny. He was now to take the torch, the testimony of God, in the Ark of the Covenant and cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. This land had been promised for years. Joshua's been around Moses for a long time. But you know, being around somebody doesn't make you feel like you're ready. And can you imagine, I'm not sure that the Lord had directly spoken to Joshua before this time, but here it says that God spoke directly to Joshua, just like he had to Moses. and said, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now it's your turn. And he gave him these instructions. Now, you know, you can tell already that Joshua uh, was, was a little bit intimidated by this calling. I mean, how do you replace Moses? How does Timothy replace Paul? I mean, you know, come on, what are you, crazy? And Joshua, uh, he, how could you feel worthy of this? But you notice the Lord kept telling him, now be strong and be courageous. Now don't tremble. Don't be afraid. Look, wasn't I with Moses? Josh said, yeah. And then he said, now I'm going to be with you the same way. Now Joshua, it's time for you to be faithful. Young people, you're going to be surprised how quickly the Lord's going to ask you to be faithful and carry something that's very precious to him. It isn't just like the rest of your life. You let your mom and your dad and the older folks in the church do all of that stuff and you just kind of take a free ride. That's why it's important to strengthen yourself and the grace of God and get ready because circumstances are going to bring you to the point where the Lord's going to say, now it's your turn. And just like Joshua, you're going to have to be prepared for this moment. Now you know the moment caught Joshua off guard in a sense. I mean, Moses dying, you kind of think if a guy's lived to be 120 years old, he's pretty much going to live forever. But he didn't. Joshua died. And now, now who's going to leave? Well, the Lord said, Joshua, it's your turn. Now, when that happens, let me ask you a question. Who do you think Joshua thought should have led? Once Moses died, who, who, who should have led the children of Israel into the promised land. You think Joshua knew he was called to do it? Well, that's a trick question because actually, before Moses died, God said, Mo, take Josh and anoint him with oil because he's going to be the next leader. So, actually, see, now you know the answer to that question. But I know, even though that happened, I'm sure Josh said to himself, how about Cal? Caleb. Yeah, you know, Joshua and Caleb, now they were buddies together. You know, they were two of the 12 spies that were sent from the 12 tribes into Israel 40 years before. And they went in and it was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, we should take the land. And so Josh, I'm sure, thought, you know what? Cal's the guy who should go in. 
No, 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 I'm telling you. You know why? Because Cal was a real man of faith. Cal was such a strong guy of faith. You know, when the people said, Oh, no, there's giants. There's giants. I mean, that's after they ate grapes this size. They ate one grape. They got drunk. You know, I mean, this is something. And then after enjoying what they brought back, they said, no, 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 we can't go in. There's giants. And there's walled cities. You know what Caleb said? In the name of God, we will eat them for lunch. <laughs> now, that's a man of faith. You know? Joshua said, lunch? The giants? Now, I thought we'd sneak around and first let's attack the midgets. But, you know. <laughs> Cal. Cal was the guy who really had the faith. And you know something more? Cal was also from the tribe of Judah. I mean, Joshua... Well, first of all, he was the son of none. You've got to have a complex if you're the son of nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, so, and, and there's Caleb. I mean, he's, and you know what? And he was special. Caleb was special. I, I won't go and show you the passages in the Old Testament, but Caleb was somebody that, that the Bible says, and Caleb had a different spirit than the rest because he was a real man filled with the spirit and faith. Even though all those other spies uh, were fearful, Caleb stood by faith. And you remember, I don't know if you remember this old, the, the story, but Caleb, they, they got into the promised land and they fought and they won territory and everything. But you know what? There was still the place of the G -G -G giants. And that place was Hebron. And nobody had attacked the giants yet. And guess what happened? One day, Cal comes in and says, General Joshua! Oh, oh. Josh says, At ease, Cal. What do you want? And Cal says, Could I please go and attack the giants? <laughs> and if I beat the giants, because Hebron is a beautiful hilly country with waterfalls and little mountains and the, you know all this kind of stuff, it's like a national forest in California. And Caleb says, if I defeat the giants, can I live there? Josh said, you got it. Just go kill the giants and you can have it. And you know what that guy did? It. I think he was 87 years old. 87 years old. He went up there with no teeth and said, I'm going to eat you, giant. <laughs> And I'm telling you what, he had such faith that he went up there and defeated the giants. And all of them were killed except some who ran away because, you know, when you have six toes on each foot, it's, you can run faster. And those giants lumber down somewhere into, the, into uh, Philistine territory and uh, later on they had to be dealt with, you know. But, uh, and there Caleb was a special guy because he had such faith. <sighs> what? Why doesn't God get Caleb to... I mean, first of all, I mean, there's Joshua, and he's standing by the river, the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is overflowing, and uh, one thing Joshua can't do is he never learned to swim. You see, he didn't belong to the YMCA. He'd never take swimming lessons. Didn't have a school with a pool, unlike some of you guys. He didn't know how to swim. And now here's this river just... Waves. Every once in a while, a shark jumps up in the water. I mean, you know. and, and Joshua has to say, this, in three days, we're crossing this river. I don't know how. Lord, how are we going to do this? I don't know. But anyway, he said, we're going to do it. Now, that took faith. And it's not like Joshua didn't have faith. But he wasn't like the strong kind of faith like Caleb. So how come God picks Josh? How come God picks you. Because you know what? If, if God actually came to you and says, okay, Josh, the guy who's sleeping back there, okay, Josh, now, I'm picking you to carry the testimony of Jesus. He would immediately say, no, 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 not me. My friend next to me on the right, that guy over there, see, because he's wearing all black, he kind of looks like a minister. Uh, he has more faith, you see. God, you should pick him, not me, you see. But God knows what he's doing. And even though you feel like just a, a regular person, do you feel like you're a regular person? 
Yeah, I think probably most of you feel like you're regular. Maybe some of you feel like you're king size. I don't know, but it's just normal people, right? But how is it that God can use normal people? Here is the secret. Joshua had been prepared just for this moment over the previous years. And when you come to the time where God says to you, be faithful, my son, be faithful, my daughter, I'll guarantee he's prepared you before that time. If you will be faithful. So I just want, it's very simple. Just want to look at four little pictures from the Old Testament in Joshua's life. Four little snapshot moments that let us see that Joshua indeed had been prepared. And of course, when he went in, he, he led the people and they gained victory after victory. And everybody knew it was the Lord, not Joshua. But Joshua was the man to carry the torch and lead the way. And the Lord was the one who really led them and brought them through to victory. Okay, so now let's uh, uh, notice Joshua back in the old days before he was chosen. Just see some things in his life that kind of prepared the way, okay? Uh, number one, we notice in Exodus chapter 17. Okay, let's turn to these verses now. This will help keep you awake if you're a little bit dozy. Just turn to the scriptures and then fall asleep in your Bible. <laughs> Now, the Amalekites were bad. The Amalekites uh, hated the children of Israel, and they were always fighting. And so when we come to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, here's the Amalekites, and they came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, who was a young man back in this day, don't forget, this is the beginning of the 40 years. They just came out of Egypt. Choose men for us to go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I'll station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And if you notice over in verse 13 again, So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So you see, first of all, we find out that uh, Joshua was, knew how to fight. He knew how to fight spiritual warfare. He knew how to wear the armor. He knew how to flash the sword. He knew how to lead people. So he was not as backward as he might think. He had experience uh, in leading. And he did it because Moses told him to. Moses said, Joshua, go and do it. And so Joshua immediately got together men and they got equipped and everything and they went and fought the Amalekites and they won. So the first part of preparation is this. In your own spiritual life, in your own situation, you need to learn how to fight the good fight of faith. You need to learn how to fight to keep a pure conscience. How to fight to stay in faith and not just become uh, confused with doubt. It's up to you to be a fighter. You need to realize how important it is that you fight uh, for, the, uh, for the Lord. You remember in 1 John chapter 2, it says that when uh, John was talking to the young men, he says, The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Young men, in preparation, have to learn how to fight against the enemy. Because the enemy tries to attack you so many different ways. He, he's, got, he's always trying to attack you. Uh, if you. If you're doing your homework, he says, You should be at the prayer meeting. If you go to the prayer meeting, he says, you should be doing your homework. You can't win. In the end, you've got to say, I'm doing what I think God told me to do, and I'm not going to take any more of your uh, making me feel guilty all the time. You say, Lord, Lord, forgive me, I sinned. Cleanse me by your precious blood. Then the next day, the devil came and says, you didn't get cleansed. You're still a sinner. You haven't been forgiven. God doesn't love you anymore. Now, what are you going to say? Uh, yeah, I guess not. Oh, well. Huh. What am I going to do now? Uh, you say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I believe your precious blood cleansed me from all sins. Get out of here, devil. And he'll leave you alone. But, you know, just in even little ways like this, you've got to be a fighter. I mean, I know if uh, Joshua was one of the California flower children, that he never would have been tapped to lead the nation. You don't know who flower children are, do you? 
Why, when I was a young man, back in the late 1960s, there's a whole bunch of Californians that took up to being hippies, driving around in Volkswagen vans, and going around going peace all the time, and wearing tie-dye shirts, letting their hair grow long, and never taking a bath. They believed in peace. They were against the war in Vietnam, and they were against all war, and they were against the government, and they were against making money, and they were against everything except free love. The flower joke. Now, you've got to be a fighter, not a peacenik. This is a spiritual warfare we're in. Right? Okay. Number two, we see Exodus chapter 24. Hmm. Now, Moses gets to Mount Sinai, and there's a lot going on in this story, but we're going to avoid the story pretty much just to see Joshua. Now, notice verse 12 of Exodus 24. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. No, he didn't say it. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come, come up, up, up to me on the mountain and remain there. And I will give you you stone tablet with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. And so what did Moses do? The next verse. It says, So Moses arose with Joshua. said, Come on, Joshua, go up to the mountain to meet God. Now, you know, Joshua was a kind of a young man and then Moe had been around for a while. But you know what? It's a scary thought to go up to the mountain because up on the mountain there's like a volcano going on. There's, there's, there's sparks coming out of the top of the mountain, thunder and flashing and a big cloud. And Joshua, Moe says, come on, Joshua, going up the mountain. Joshua says, hey, I mean, you, you know what? I don't have the right kind of sneakers. Moe says, come on, we're going up. So they went up. God started speaking to Moe. But guess who was there and saw the glory of God? Josh. He was in the background. I think he was hiding in the crack of the rock. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was wearing blinders. I, I don't know what he was doing, but he was there. And he saw a little bit of the glory of God. And you know what happens to somebody when they see the glory of God? Strange to say, it makes you hungry to know more of God. Josh saw something. He's just in the background. It doesn't say, and Joshua saw that God was wearing a blue smock. No, it, it just says that Joshua was there. And he got to be part of this whole thing. When you get into the zone of the glory of God, man, I tell you, you know what happens? It's like, have you ever gone to one of these electricity things where your hair stands straight up? Oh, you don't have hair on your arms, do you? Uh, well... <laughs> For me, I walk into some areas that are, you know, electrified or something like that. And like in the wintertime, you know, when I touch a door, they go, and it kind of gets back and charges me, you know, gives me a shock. Just before I do that, my hair goes, my beard goes, see, and when you get into the zone where God is, you know, hairy things happen. But it changes you. It makes you realize, wow, this is serious business. This God is like huge. Just discovered that. That's part of the preparation, you know. That you would see the glory of God. He's magnificent. I love the, some of the worship songs that are coming out today in, in the, in the uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, worship times and these uh, passion times and all this. Because many of them really talk about how awesome, how great, how powerful, how magnificent God really is. Well, what's that one that starts out, you know... Uh, it doesn't start out, I am a moment, you are forever. Is that how it starts out? Oh, okay. I thought it started out a different way. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a germ. And... <laughs> okay. But you, you know what I mean? I mean, God is awesome. Now listen, okay, you can sing that all day long, but you know what? When you discover that, because you've just seen a little nanosecond of the glory of God, like Josh, whoa, things happen. That's the number three. <clears throat> Uh, Exodus 33. Just a little side note. Now, you notice in all of these passages, did you notice something? Josh is not the star. In these passages, God is the star. Moses is the receiver. And Josh is in the background. But there he is, being prepared in the background. This is very important. So in Exodus 33, we come to verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Mo face to face. See, now Moses was 
get in the testimony. See? Just as a man speaks to his friend. Now when Mo returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So here's what happened. You know the story. When Moses would walk into the tent, down would come the fire. Like a big, big lighter. And all the people in Israel would come out of their tents and look, there's fire, there's fire. Oh, no, no, that's not fire, that's Mo. He's talking to God. And you know who stayed in the tent after Moses went out? Joshua. And he began to learn about the things of God. He began to see how beautiful the things of God were. And later on, it was the tabernacle. And Joshua stayed around. And he saw the holy furniture. And he saw God every day coming down to speak with Moses. You know what? This is really a great experience as people are being trained in the Lord to see the beauty of the Lord. The way the Lord does things. To see the order of the Lord and to seek the presence of God. One thing Joshua took away from this experience was this. For Moses, the presence of God was the most important moment in his life. And he learned that just there as an observer, if you want to say. Well, let's turn to Numbers and chapter 11. And we'll just look at verse 28. Now here's another thing that was a great preparation for Joshua. Then Joshua, you got it, Numbers 11, 28. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Now forgetting the story for a moment, here is the situation. Here's one way that Joshua was prepared for carrying the torch of the testimony. He was a servant of a servant of God. Moses was the servant of God. You remember at the very beginning of Joshua, it says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, the servant of Moses, God spoke to. So Joshua was just a simple servant. He attended Moses. Now Moses was an old guy, and so, you know, sometimes he's forgotten where he put the rod, you know, and uh, Joshua would have to find it, you know. Sometimes he left his watch in the tent. Uh, various things went on, you know. Sometimes he said, Josh, go out and get Zippy. That's his wife, Zipporah. And, uh, you know, so Josh had to run out and get Zippy some bananas, uh, whatever, you know. I mean, he was just a lowly attendant. I mean, he just took care of Joshua, but you know, uh, of Moses. But you know something? This was vital training. So all I'm saying is this. Here's how we apply it. Are you willing to serve in, in church, in the house of God? Just in some little way? Are you willing to? You know, some people don't want to do little things. They just want to do big things. But God usually has us start just doing something small. So as your mom is teaching a Sunday school class, you come in there and give the kids the snack. And then you stay afterwards and pick up the snack that they've thrown on the floor. It's something like that. It's very simple. But through service and being a servant, the Lord starts preparing your heart for the moment where you're going to lead. Because Joshua may became, became a leader one day of the, of the children of Israel, but remember, he was always a servant of God. And he learned how to be a servant as he was a servant under Moses. Uh, let's look at the Numbers chapter 13. Because now we're looking at the story. If you have a, a New American Standard Bible, like mine, this is a great Bible. You see, I just, got, I just brought a new Bible on this trip. See, it's brand new. See the gold edges? It smells nice. I love new Bibles. Anyway, you see at the beginning of Numbers 13, does your Bible say, spies view the land? <laughs> you see? I got that note right there at the beginning, okay? Now, as it's listing the spies, notice what it says in verse 8. This is where Joshua is mentioned. This is Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. It says, 
And from the tribe of Ephraim, that's where uh, Joshua's tribe is, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. Wait a minute, Hosea. Then we notice down in verse 13, something very strange. Sorry, uh, verse uh, 16, something very strange. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hosea Joshua. Now you say, well, big deal, he changed his name. But there's significance to the change. Actually, he just added two letters onto the old name. The old name was Hashua. The new name was Yehashua. That's actually how you say Joshua in Hebrew. Yehashua. Hashua means salvation. Yehashua is Jehovah. It means Jehovah is salvation. Now, the significance of the name change is this. Joshua had a personal experience of God. And so his name was no longer just salvation. His name was Jehovah is salvation. It implies that Joshua, there was some change in Joshua's life. And God was real to him. God had saved him, if you want to put it that way. Jehovah salvation became his new name. And God wants to change our names from just Christians who are saved and know about Him to Christians who know Him. That's why Paul is always praying that I may know Him. Not just know about Him, but that I may know Him. This is the goal of the Christian life and the goal of your life. I hope you're not just content with knowing about the fact that He saved you, that He loves you, but that you come to know Him. Because I think that makes it, that's a mark in, in Joshua's life that's very important. Okay, that, that was five so far, and we only have two more, and then that's it. The sixth one is found in, back in Numbers 11. And verse 25. Numbers 11, 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took the spirit who was upon him, that is Moses, and placed him upon the seventy elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two of the men had remained in the camp, one Eldad and one Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those who had been registered, but that had not gone out to the tent. So the young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. Now, the point is this. And it's a long story just to get around and say this. But here's the deal. Joshua was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, again, is very important preparation for serving God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look uh, at, uh, let's see, Numbers 27, 18. And you'll notice uh, in Numbers 27, 18, the Lord says to Moses, Take Joshua the son of man... A man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before and commission him to be the next leader. That's what it's all about. But notice about Joshua, he had the Spirit in him. This is very important. Brothers and sisters, you need to have as much of the Holy Spirit as possible. You need to have his wisdom and his strength and his help, his leading, his convicting, his power. Filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Joshua was. And it was preparation. And then the seventh and last little snapshot, which I can't turn to a verse to speak about, but this is maybe the most important thing that qualified Joshua to be the one to receive the torch of the testimony. And here's what it was. Joshua and Caleb were together with a whole generation of their peers. And you remember, they came to the border of the promised land and they were afraid to enter in. And so God said, okay, because you disobeyed, you're all going to die in the wilderness. 
Now Joshua and Caleb were ready to go into the promised land that day. And yet Joshua had to wait 40 years. And basically, he sacrificed the best years of his life for the will of God and for the people of God. Now this is known as the cross. Here's a very practical application of what the cross means. I suppose, I mean it's foolish to say this kind of thing, but I suppose that Joshua and Caleb, just the two of them and their families, could have gone into the promised land and established a little town by themselves. I believe they had that kind of faith. If they had gone across, they didn't have to wait 40 years. Why should they wait 40 years? They were faithful. And yet for the sake of the children of God, they wasted 40 years. Now you have a whole life ahead of you with many things you want to do. You want to make a whole bunch of money. You, you want to, I don't know what you want to do. But what if the Lord came to you and said, you know what, I want you to waste your life in order to help the people of God. You willing to do that? I'm reading a marvelous biography right now about a man named Groves who was a missionary. He went out to Baghdad and then to India. And in the process, he left everything. He was a dentist. He left his practice. He gave away all his money. He went out there. He faced problems. He lost his wife in the plague. And he lost his baby child in the plague. And he, he, it was, it, it's a tragedy in a way, but he kept on being faithful. He wasted his life in order to serve the Lord in a foreign land. Now, that's not what happens to most of us. But here's the deal. You know, the Lord is looking for somebody who is willing to sacrifice themselves in order to serve a higher purpose. There's nothing higher than carrying the testimony of Jesus and of letting it burn brightly in these last days. But it takes some sacrifice. You know what I mean? You can be the president of your high school senior class if you just make friends of everybody. But along with making friends of everybody, which I don't mind if you do, if you also share Christ with everybody, well, there's a chance, unless you're going to a Christian school, you may not become president of the senior class. Now, you've sacrificed something, but maybe you sacrificed something for the Lord. And He knows that. Some of you have had opportunity to be like the other kids, and it would have involved some kind of moral compromise. But you decided not to do it. And you sacrificed yourself. But these kinds of ways that we deny ourselves are the things that God looks for. Because if we're going to serve God, we can't be totally absorbed in self-possessiveness. That was a big word that Stephen, our brother Stephen, used this morning when he was speaking. Self-possessiveness. The church in Laodicea just completely filled with self-possessiveness. I want this. I want that. I plan to do this. I, I want to take that job. I want to go to this school. I want to marry that chick. Just completely me, 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 me. But those that God would really have for His servants have got to be willing to say, Lord, not my will, but Yours be done. And so, you know what? Joshua... Wasted 40 years of his life, basically hung around in the wilderness and, you know, threw stones at the scorpions. I don't know what he did. Uh, I do know what he did. He was faithful for 40 years. And then the moment came when Moses died and God could say, Josh, here's the torch. Now, don't be afraid. You've proven yourself faithful in all of these little ways. And now it's time to step into the promised land. And I've appointed you to do it. And so we live our lives just normal lives. Nobody feels like they're exceptional usually. And those who do feel like they're exceptional usually have a problem. But if you just feel like you're normal and struggling like the rest, do you allow God to prepare you? You know, we talk about the last days and it's awfully hard to predict these things because we don't really know what's going to happen to our country. I know many of your families moved here to this country in order to make a lot of money and to be happy and to be free. But we don't know what's going to happen here in the United States and it might turn around, it might turn that the best thing that you could do is move back to China so you can make a lot of money and you can be free. <laughs> you don't know. But all I'm saying is wherever the Lord plants you, are you willing to be faithful and serve Him? It will involve some sacrifice. 
but it will also be the greatest blessing of your life. We never would have heard much about Joshua. We probably would have remembered Cal because of his great faith. But because Joshua was willing to be obedient as a servant of God, he became the man that brought us into the promised land and the man that Jesus, the Savior, was named after. But don't forget, Jesus' name was actually Yeshua, Joshua. And Jesus leads us into the promised land through salvation. Thank you very much for listening. Let's have a prayer and then you're free to go. Lord, I thank you for young lives before us. Always the hope of the future. But more importantly, I pray, Lord, you who look not on the outer man but on the heart, may you see a heart of Joshua, a heart of David, a heart of Timothy, a heart of somebody who wants your way and is willing to go through the disciplines of preparation in order to be faithful. I pray that you'll find those here willing to be part of the church and the church that holds the testimony of Jesus. That you would find us faithful in a lot of little ways that prepare us for the important tasks ahead. And thank you, Lord, that you've given all of us together this most wonderful privilege of bearing the testimony of Jesus in this sorry and dark and uh, troubled world we live in. Help us to be faithful just to you, Lord, because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.